I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Nature's deadliest organisms. Looked lifeless. The seizures were just taking everything that he had. They hijack our bodies. It was as if something was going from place to place in his body, making these horrible things happen to him. Disable our immune systems. I couldn't figure out how I was going to go on without him. And eat us from within. He could end up going into a coma, and he could die from this. For those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Griswold, Connecticut. Daryl and Desiree Phillips have been married for five years. We were best friends growing up. We've known each other basically our whole lives. We live on a farm and we, we do a lot of outdoorsy stuff. He likes hunting. I like the planting and the crops. We have very different interests, but somehow that works together. November 2016. Daryl and Desiree are the proud parents of two sons, Earl and Liam. Well, Earl's a typical three-year-old. He's mischievous, but fun. And then Liam, he's a typical happy baby. He hardly ever cries. He just plays and goes about his way. One afternoon, Daryl and Desiree are relaxing with their children in the house. But as the day continues, the couple notices that their youngest son, Liam, is not his usual self. He started looking like he was getting kind of sick. He was clogged up a little bit. He started to get a little sniffly. Everybody was just getting over a cold. Unfortunately, when it hits a house, it hits a house. So we figured that was just what was happening. I just figured we'd keep an eye on him and didn't really think anything of it. Desiree puts Liam to bed. But the next day, the little boy's condition has gotten worse. We were sitting down at dinner, just a typical family meal. All of a sudden, Liam just started vomiting. All over the floor, pretty much everywhere. It makes any parent nervous when they start vomiting like that. Desiree and Daryl check Liam's temperature. He was feverish. About 101. At that point, we were worried. So the next day, the couple takes Liam to see a pediatrician. They, you know, checked the fever, and they did x-rays, trying to find out what was going on. And one of the x-rays was blurred on the lung. So they diagnosed him with pneumonia. Pneumonia is an infection that can cause the lungs to fill with fluid or pus. And in infants, the condition can be fatal. You hear pneumonia, and we kind of freaked out a little. I mean, you hear about kids dying from pneumonia. But the doctor explains that Liam's case is mild, and he prescribes a 10-day course of antibiotics. 
reassuring Desiree and Daryl that the symptoms should clear up soon. And to the parents' relief, Liam seems to respond well. He just overall was starting to look healthier. We were starting to feel more relieved at that point. Just thought everything was going to be all right. For the next few days, everything appears to be back to normal. Then, one evening, Desiree checks on her son and immediately notices something is wrong. Basically, he went into a Blake stare. He was completely unresponsive. You snap your fingers next to their head and they don't move. That's not a symptom of pneumonia. We were panicking. Daryl and Desiree rush Liam to the ER. But to their surprise, the doctor who examines Liam is not alarmed. They didn't seem to think it was out of the ordinary. They said it was just a febrile seizure. A febrile seizure is a convulsion in a child triggered by a fever. Symptoms can include severe shaking and unresponsiveness. The doctor explains that Liam's seizure was probably triggered by his pneumonia and fever. It's something that does happen fairly often in small children. They just overheat and have a seizure from it. They said nothing really to worry about. Sure, felt you know, a little reassured. He recommends giving Liam an over-the-counter fever medication. Over the next two days, Daryl and Desiree follow the doctor's advice. And thankfully, Liam's seizures seem to subside. Then one morning, about a week after Liam first got sick, Desiree goes to wake him and notices something strange. He was laying in the crib with his arm out straight. His head was all the way to the right. Eventually, Liam snaps out of his trance-like state. But then he went right back into another one. And at that point, the eyes started to roll back into his head. When you see somebody's eyes rolling back in their head, it's terrifying. He needs to go to the hospital. Desiree and Daryl rush Liam to the ER. There, he is seen by pediatric infectious disease specialist, Dr. Nicholas Bennett. So when I saw Liam for the first time, although he was seizing, uh, it wasn't a a typical febrile seizure. A febrile seizure would normally affect the whole body. Liam's seizures, though, were more focal. They involved one arm primarily as opposed to the rest of his body. Instead, Dr. Bennett suspects the cause of his seizures is some kind of infection in the brain. So Dr. Bennett and his team order an MRI, and the results confirm his theory. So after I reviewed the scans, we knew he had encephalitis of some kind. Encephalitis is an inflammation of the brain, often triggered by a viral infection. The condition can lead to fever, seizures, and even death. But what's triggering Liam's encephalitis remains a mystery. In most cases of encephalitis, you see inflammation towards the outside of the brain, in the cerebral cortex. But Liam's scans were different, they were unusual. He had inflammation in a much deeper part of the brain, so it wasn't clear what the diagnosis was. They had uh, EKGs going, he had IVs in them. They ran him through tons of antibiotics. They didn't know what was going on. 
and to Daryl and Desiree's dismay, Liam's seizures show no signs of easing. It was just nonstop. The scariest part was basically that they were giving him medication to control it, and it wasn't controllable. I mean, seizures, you're risking damage to the brain. My biggest fear was that, you know, this virus was going to kill Liam. Uh, And there was nothing we could do about it. Then, 24 hours after Liam was admitted into the hospital, Dr. Bennett comes across what could be the key to solving the mystery. When you examined him, you could see, uh, just below the, the right knee, a little area of redness. So... When I spoke to the family, one of the things they revealed was that uh, Liam had had a a tick exposure. At the time, Desiree and Daryl hadn't thought much of the incident, as the tick was only there for a few hours at most. But with this new information, Dr. Bennett now has a hunch what could be making Liam sick. Most infections that are transmitted by ticks, things like Lyme disease, can take a day or two to transmit from a feeding tick. I knew, though, that there was another infection that could be transmitted very quickly. This one virus probably is the most severe virus you can get from a tick. Five-month-old Liam Phillips is suffering from uncontrollable seizures, putting him at risk for permanent brain damage. And now, Dr. Nicholas Bennett may have uncovered the reason why. To confirm his theory, Dr. Bennett sends out a sample of Liam's blood for one final check. I wanted them to test for this one virus. The results reveal that Liam is battling one of nature's deadliest pathogens. And it determined that Liam had the Poisson virus. The Poisson virus is spread to humans by infected ticks. Inside Liam's body, the virus has infiltrated his central nervous system. There, it attacks the cells, causing his fever, seizures, and swelling in the brain. We had never heard of the Powassan virus before. I didn't know what it was. It's a very rare virus infection. Liam's case was the first reported case in this state, in Connecticut. But also, Parthon virus probably is the most severe virus you can get from a tick. Compared to other tick-borne diseases, Powassan virus is especially dangerous because of the speed with which it can be transmitted from the tick to the host. A tick carrying Powassan only needs to be attached to its host for 15 minutes in order to transfer the disease. Compare that to Lyme disease, which requires up to 24 hours. And if a virus-carrying tick isn't detected quickly, the effects can be devastating. About 60% of Powassan cases result in permanent disability or even death. My biggest fear was that that this virus was going to kill Liam. Uh, And there was nothing we could do about it. I mean, it was hard because, you know, they're doing everything that they can. I'm sorry. But Desiree and Daryl soon receive more bad news. At the moment, for Powassan, we don't have a vaccine or treatment for the virus. All Dr. Bennett can do is prescribe medications to manage Liam's symptoms. 
and hope that his body fights off the infection. We didn't know whether he could end up going into a coma, and ultimately he could die from this. In the ICU, as doctors administer the treatment, Desiree and Daryl watch over Liam, praying that he'll turn around. He looked lifeless. The seizures were just taking everything that he had. It was a little hard to see him in that state. The Powassan virus is carried by three types of ticks, but it's most prevalent in one, the deer tick. Over the past two decades, deer tick populations have been surging, and they're now found in nearly half of all U.S. counties. And Daryl and Desiree think they know when Liam was exposed. I'd been hunting one morning, one of those crazy mornings when you have kids. So I just came home and started helping with Liam. He didn't have the time to get changed before taking him. The couple believes that the tick that bit their son came from Daryl's hunting clothes. And later that day, I went to change him and found a tick on the back of his knee. It was only on there for about, you know, two, three hours. And he seemed fine, but the tick only has to be on for 15 minutes in order for you to get the virus. For four days, Liam remains in the ICU. We didn't know whether Liam was going to start to get better or continue to get worse. But then, miraculously, there's a change in Liam's condition. We were able to get the seizures under control by juggling the doses and types of anti-seizure medications that he was given. It was definitely a good sign that he was on the mend. Liam's recovery really was pretty remarkable. Liam spends seven days in the hospital. After he's released, he undergoes physical therapy for the next several weeks. Today, he is almost fully recovered. He's got a slight weakness on the right side, but he's doing great today. He's just a happy-go-lucky kid, loving life. The best way to protect against Powassan is to avoid being bitten by a tick. The CDC recommends using DEET-based insect repellent, wearing permethrin-treated clothing, and avoiding heavily forested areas. While we can protect ourselves from some infections, like the ones transmitted by ticks, there's little defense when you don't know the threat is lurking right under your nose. There was a sensation of something inside of me. We were both blown away by this diagnosis. Historic Williamsburg, Virginia is home to married couple John Allen and Margaret Pizer. We met in graduate school and I was sort of blown away by her uh, intelligence and ability to understand a problem and work through a problem. John has a really good sense of humor. He doesn't take himself or anything all that seriously. Margaret works as a science writer and John is a biology professor at the nearby College of William and Mary. I teach and do research on invertebrate biology and marine ecology. The busy professionals are also raising two young boys. My oldest son is seven and my youngest son is five, and they're awesome. But this family's idyllic life is about to be upended by an unwelcomed guest. One evening in September, John is working through the night to prepare for an upcoming lecture. 
As I was laying in bed, I suddenly noticed on the roof of my mouth this sort of rough patch. It was just like a raised ridges on, on the roof of your mouth. I didn't think much of it because, you know, you often will bite into something like crusty bread or, you know, potato chip or whatever that might, you know, scratch the roof of your mouth in some very minor way. And so didn't really think twice about it. And then before I knew it, I was asleep. The next day, John is cataloging specimens in his lab when he notices something odd. The rough patch that had been on the roof of my mouth the night before moved to just the left-hand side of the, of the same part of the hard palate. So I was sort of thinking, like, what did I do? Like, I, have no, I had no memory of anything unusual and, you know, that I had eaten. So I just thought I had forgotten some meal. So after that, then uh, I just went off and taught my lecture as I normally would. That night, as John's getting into bed, he mentions the incident to Margaret. Everybody has cuts and places where they've bitten their cheek or in their mouth, so I was just kind of like, you know, oh, whatever, you know, go back to sleep. <laughs> Margaret's dismissal leaves John wondering if the bizarre symptoms are all in his head. There was definitely a lot of, uh, you know, worry that maybe my mind was playing tricks on me. But for the rest of the semester, John notices the rough patches come and go. I would look in the mirror and try to see if there was anything that I could see, and there was never anything. Nearly four months after he first noticed the ridges in his mouth, John is teaching a class when the situation comes to a head. So it was right before Christmas, and the end of the semester, um, I'm giving the three-hour final exam for my course. And I noticed that the sensation has now moved from the roof of my mouth to the front part of my lower lip. But I was like, aha, if I went and ran to the mirror in the bathroom at that moment, I'd be able to see it. John counts down the minutes until the test is over. Then, after the last student has filed out of the room, he grabs a camera and heads to the bathroom. I'll be finally able to see whatever this is when it's been moving in my mouth for the last few months. For several months, college professor John Allen has felt something strange creeping around inside his mouth. But he's never been able to actually see it until now. So I run in there and I pull my lip down to look in the mirror to see what this is. So I started snapping photographs. I see immediately this series of, you know, squiggly lines inside of my lip. It looks like a bunch of sinusoidal, you know, curves. And when I see that, I was like, there's some kind of little creature living inside me and moving around inside of my mouth. Back at home, John presents his photographic proof to Margaret. It sure made it seem like there was some kind of little creature in there. I believed John at this point that something was going on and he should go see a doctor. Later that day, John has an appointment with an oral surgeon. He looks in. I thought this is the moment where I'd have confirmation of, you know, by a medical professional of what I had found. But when the doctor finishes, he gives John some disheartening news. 
And he said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I just, I don't see anything unusual in your mouth. I was mad. I was, you know, depressed and angry and frustrated and all of those emotions at the same time. Finally, John comes to a sobering conclusion. If I'm the only one who can see it, then I'll just take it out myself. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Later that night, John is tucking one of his kids into bed when he senses his opportunity. At that point, this thing has now moved to a place where I can reach it. I was like, okay, this is it. I woke up Margaret and I said, you know, I'm going to pull this out of my mouth. He asked me to just hold the flashlight and, you know, make sure that he can see what he's doing in his mouth. Took the forceps. I had to dig into the tissue of my cheek, so there's a little bit of blood. And I just wedged one end under the creature inside of my mouth. He said, I got something. And you could see that he was holding the end of something in the forceps. So I'm definitely thinking, what am I doing here? Holding a flashlight so that you can pull some creature out of your cheek. Like this is like alien or something. I was really nervous. So I just very slowly pulled it out. Then I was able to finally see it in front of my face. It was a little kind of white worm, kind of the width of maybe a couple of threads. And it was moving, like it was wriggling around. Uh, It was incredibly surreal. John has no idea what living creature he's just pulled out of his mouth. Then as an invertebrate biologist, I've seen a lot of unusual animals but I've never seen anything like this, and certainly certainly nothing that I thought would be inside of me. But he's determined to find out what it is. We're just a few miles from my lab. John drives straight there. And even though it's the middle of the night, he's able to convince fellow scientist Aurora Kirscher to join him. John and I looked at the worm together under the microscope, and... Um, There's some features about the worm that's a little unusual. So if you look at the head region of the worm, it has these little, like, bubble structures. 
Based on these findings, Aurora and John have a suspicion about what type of worm this is. To confirm their hunch, they take a sample of the worm's DNA and run it through a computer database. It told us with 99% identity that this was a certain species of worm. And it's not just any worm. It's one of the rarest human parasites on Earth. This is not something you would like to have inside you. Biology professor John Allen and scientist Aurora Kirscher are running DNA tests on a living worm that John just pulled out of his own mouth. And when the results come back, they're shocking. It's one of the rarest human parasites on Earth. And she came back and said, this is Gondolinema pulchrum. Gondolinema pulchrum is a species of parasitic roundworm known for infecting livestock. They typically live inside the animal's throat and feed off its tissue. But inside John, it's burrowing through his mouth, looking for the perfect place to nest. So when I heard Gondolinema, I was just like, what's, what's that? This is pretty gross. Like, this is not something you would like to have inside you. Gondolinema pulchrum is the only species of roundworm that lives primarily in the human mouth. So infection is incredibly rare. In fact, in the United States, there have only been 13 confirmed cases. So we were both blown away by this diagnosis and to realize how rare it was. And, you know, why John? He lives down the street. <laughs> Gondolinema pulchrum has an ingenious way of spreading. The parasite passes its eggs through the excrement of its host. Then, the eggs are picked up and spread by some of the world's most abundant creatures, insects. It means that anyone is essentially susceptible to this because there are insect parts in our food supply. The FDA allows for a certain amount of insect parts in many of the foods we regularly eat. For example, a typical chocolate bar can contain up to eight bug fragments. A box of raisins is permitted to include 65 fly eggs, and a jar of peanut butter can have more than 150 insect legs, antennae, and heads. So I could have gotten it very easily from just sharing a box of raisins with my sons or a bowl of cereal in the morning with them. Today, John is fully recovered and is using his ordeal to educate his students. Every year I tell my students about this during my Halloween lecture on the parasite that was living inside of me, and I creep them out, I think, by doing that, but I think they learn a lot from it. While it's impossible to avoid consuming insects entirely, the CDC does have guidelines for the safe handling of food. They advise you to rinse fresh fruits and vegetables under running water, to avoid eating raw or undercooked meat, and to thoroughly wash hands with warm soap and water after handling food products. Feeling a parasite moving inside you is utterly terrifying. But what if you don't know there's a monster in your body until it's too late? There were thousands of little holes throughout his stomach and small intestine. That was the worst moment of, worst moment of my life. 
Milton, Canada is a large suburb of Toronto. It's home to Tracy Ciccarelli. I work for Air Canada Cargo. I plan the freight that goes on the flights. When she's not working, Tracy enjoys taking family vacations with her older brother Ralph and parents Al and Margaret. Al and I love taking vacations with the two of them. We went to Spain, Portugal, uh, Italy, and just loved it. Ever since she was little, Tracy has been particularly close with her father. My dad's everything to me. He's the person that I could call with anything at any time. He always knows the answer, always ready to help. But for this close-knit family, life is about to be torn apart by a relentless invader. It's a cool fall morning. Tracy and Margaret are welcoming Al home from a long hunting trip. My father loves the outdoors. He is always hunting. We were expecting to hear all the stories of everything that had happened, but Dad was a little off and said that he had had some diarrhea issues. And when you're out in the bush, that's not very fun. I could tell that he was off in a way and I figured he probably ate something that didn't agree with him. I mean, who knows what they eat when they're out there on their trips. But he didn't really cause a big fuss. Dad just offloaded the car and, you know, everything went on as normal. And so we didn't really think very much of it. But a few weeks later, Tracy's helping her parents renovate their basement and notices that her father's symptoms have not improved. Throughout the day, uh, he was constantly running to the bathroom. It was like every half hour, and that was really worrisome to me because that's just not normal. Margaret and Tracy decide it's time to question Al about his ongoing troubles. I said, what's going on? And he said, I've got blood in my bowel movements. I was panicking then when he told me I had the blood. We have a history of colon cancer in our family, and so I was shocked and horrified by it. For weeks, Tracy Ciccarelli has watched her father, Al, struggle with acute diarrhea. At first, she thought it was an upset stomach, but now she's worried it could be something much more severe. He said that there had been blood in the stool, and that was really worrisome to me as we have a history of colon cancer in our family. So we really wanted him to see the doctor. Fearing that Al could have a serious internal problem, Tracy and Margaret take him to the nearest emergency room. When Dad got to the hospital, they did a whole bunch of tests on him, including a colonoscopy. The colonoscopy showed um, that his colon was damaged and uh, they diagnosed him with acute ulcerative colitis. Acute ulcerative colitis is a disease that causes inflammation and ulcers in the large intestine, leading to fatigue, stabbing abdominal pains, and bloody diarrhea. He would have to be put on steroid medication for a few weeks to try and stop the bleeding and control the effects that it was having. I was like, okay, he'll get better and everything will be fine. For the next several weeks, Tracy and Margaret watch as Al's condition steadily improves. I was elated. I was just so happy that, you know, they deemed him well. He was going to be coming home. Tracy decides to stay home with her parents while her father recovers. But then, one night at the end of the week, Tracy is asleep in her bed. I was awoken by a noise uh, in my parents' bedroom. I got up to see what was going on. 
she is stunned to see that Al's recovery has come to a crashing halt. My father had tried to get out of bed and had fallen back on top of my mother, waking her up and causing a ruckus. It was scary. And he's, he was delirious. I went to try and help him up, and he was dead weight. I, I, I couldn't lift him. He was shaking from head to toe, and all the words that were coming out of his mouth were gibberish. I became very concerned and called 911. At the hospital, Al is taken straight into the emergency room. Based on the way my dad was acting, the doctor said that he wanted to do a spinal tap. And my father was still so out of it, still yelling gibberish, trying to pull the wires out, trying to move. So my mother and I were trying to hold him down and hold him still while this doctor performed this test, and they did a spinal tap right in front of us. The fluid extracted from Al's spinal column indicates he's suffering from inflammation in the lining around his brain and spinal cord, a condition known as meningitis. They immediately put him on um, an intensive round of IV antibiotics um, to combat the meningitis and get everything under control. But Al's doctors are still concerned. Both meningitis and colitis are often triggered by a major bacterial infection somewhere else in the body. To help identify it, the hospital brings in a variety of experts, including infectious disease specialist, Dr. Andrea Bogild. Al had multiple systems involved here. Clearly, his body is fighting something quite serious. The medical team decides to take a closer look inside Al's body by performing an endoscopy. What that involved was putting a camera down into his stomach uh, to look for any evidence of another focus of infection or inflammation. When doctors view the images, they're shocked by what they see. There were thousands of little holes throughout his stomach and small intestine. Having so many little holes throughout the stomach and small intestine is highly unusual. The entire medical team is mystified. There was really no way to unify a history of prolonged diarrhea with meningitis and now multiple perforations in the stomach and the small bowel. It was really a mystery. Then, while the medical team is determining how to treat Al's shredded stomach, they notice yet another new symptom. Al was discovered to have a diffuse rash involving most of his body, and it looked like patches of redness, almost with a bruise-like appearance that also was oozing fluid. Dr. Bogild has seen this type of rash before and believes it may hold the key to finally making a diagnosis. To confirm her theory, she takes samples of Al's saliva and mucus and places them under a microscope. We noted respiratory tract cells. We also noted evidence of inflammation. And in addition to that, we noted movement. Al was in grave danger at this point. I didn't know what panic felt like until that moment. I thought it can't end like this. For months, Al Ciccarelli has suffered from a bizarre illness that mystified his doctors. But now, a test may finally reveal the horrifying cause. So when we looked under the microscope, we saw thousands of tiny worms that were moving uh, like an earthworm would move in real time. 
Dr. Bogild comes to a stunning conclusion. Al's body has been taken over by a horde of tiny creatures. Al was infected with a parasitic worm called Strongyloides. Strongyloides is a parasitic roundworm that infects humans. Inside Al, the worms reproduce, and as their numbers grow, they burrow out of the intestines and begin tearing into other organs. So these worms had left the bowel, and unfortunately, the bowel contains a lot of bacteria that piggyback onto the worm as it's migrating through the body. So that caused all of the severe complications that Al suffered. When I heard the diagnosis of worms in his body, I was baffled. This is what had been happening to him all this time when he just kept saying he wasn't feeling well. How do you describe that you have worms flowing through your body? One of the scariest things about strongyloides is that an infection by just a couple of worms can quickly turn into an infestation. Inside the intestines, female worms can produce thousands of eggs a day. Some pass through in the feces, but others hatch inside the body. Those larvae then migrate to other organs to feed and continue their life cycle. Doctors place Al on a powerful antiparasitic medication called ivermectin. But after several days of treatment, his condition continues to decline. Al was my partner, and he was the man I loved, and I couldn't figure out how I was going to go on without him. We held his hand, and we told him we loved him. And that he had fought for long enough, and we were okay if he had to leave. And with that, his heart stopped, and he was gone. That was the worst moment of worst moment of my life. Strongyloides is present in many parts of the world, but is most common in tropical regions like Africa, Asia, and Central America. Contracting strongyloides is frighteningly simple. The parasite's larvae hide in soil and sand. They're adept at penetrating human skin, so if they're stepped on barefoot, they enter the body through the soles of the feet. Anyone who has walked barefoot on a tropical beach could be infected and not even know it. Given their travel history, Tracy and Margaret are also tested for strongyloides. The results are chilling. It was determined that I too was infected with this parasite. Initially, my worst fear was that I had somehow brought this into our home and passed it on to my father. But Dr. Bogild calmed me down and explained that there would be absolutely no way of person-to-person -person contamination. Tracy is given several doses of ivermectin, and within days, she is parasite-free. Today, she and Margaret are still dealing with the loss of Al. I was angry. I was angry for a whole year. I could not grieve. And when I was alone here at night, I would shout and scream at Al 
Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you help us? When you love somebody so much, you're not going to get over that. But we're moving forward and we're trying to do positive things to make his experience and his death not in vain. I've just been trying to get the word out as much as I can um, about this parasite and about advocating for yourself and for the medical care that you deserve. The total number of Strongyloides cases worldwide is unknown, but some experts believe that up to 100 million people are infected. To avoid exposure, the CDC recommends wearing shoes when walking on sand and soil and avoiding contact with human fecal matter. 